Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today's guest on the show is Maya Sophia, who released her second album, True Love, on September 1st via Tull, a women-led independent record label focused on working with and for underrepresented voices in music. I talked with Maya around her debut album, Bath Time, in early 2020, TPOE 158, if you're interested in going back into the archive and listening to that one. It's one of my favourite conversations that I've done on the podcast, and so I was delighted to chat with Maya again. This conversation took place at Maureen's in Shandon, a lovely little pub, as part of Cork Podcast Festival in August. It's a track-by-track of True Love, so this chat is edited down from the live version. We'll get sections of the songs, but not full tracks, bar the final one, the closer on the album Love is in the House, right at the end of our chat. Tom Bolton, raving about the album in The Quietest Rites. Maya Sophia's songs are the kind that come to you in the shower months later out of nowhere, having lodged themselves in the unconsciousness. True love is about real people, alive and dead, and the power of objects, substances, time and place. It is the work of someone with an enviable talent, and it deserves a lot of love. Maya launches the album with a show at Whelan's in Dublin on September 28th, with support coming from Laura Groves. I started out by asking Maya whether she had any writer's block or struggled getting to these 10 songs that make up true love? No, the songs came really easily. Oh, the writing was easy. The, the writing was really good. And then the the waiting after the songs had been written, this, the time it took from being songs that existed to me to being a, like a record ready to be in the world, that was the hard bit. <laughs> Your first album came out in the like second half of 2019. In November. Yeah, I had it in my head that it was the start of 2020, but uh, yeah, it was the end of 2019. And Yeah, it was like late November, and then it was like Christmas, so probably it kind of found its way in the world at the start of 2020. Yeah, <laughs> and so like listening back to uh, our interview at the start of 2020, it sounded mm-hmm. like you had tried writing songs and it was like, weren't really coming. So like, did oh, yeah. you... Did you sit down and think at some point in 2020 about the second album and about writing the songs um no i know i just said it was really easy i'm just remembering there was a phase that was hard (laughs) yeah i i would say like most of 2020 i didn't really write any songs and then like at the last minute in like november and december suddenly loads of songs came but there was definitely just like an empty time that I wasn't writing anything. I did try to write some songs about serial killers. I was like, <laughs> what will be the next thing? And obviously they weren't good. Is that just from lockdown, what you were watching on Netflix or something? Just a load of serial killer shows or something? That no. I was not, I was kind of appalled by everyone watching serial killers oh, okay. when I was thinking about it. And then I found out that my mom grew up. Or my, I was saying this to my mom and then my mom told me that she grew up like next door to a famous serial killer which he had just never mentioned before so then I was trying to write a song about that but it was a, a really terrible song wow it's not the serial killer that Mark O'Connell has written his book about is it I can't think of the serial killer's I, name though no no his name was Dennis Nielsen he was a pretty not great guy in wow. like the early 80s I think 70s 80s a, g- yeah. a good neighbor <laughs> apparently he was quite friendly she sat next to him on her bus to school He's, she's always like sitting next to him at the bus stop. Wow. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so are there are there songs about serial killers on the new album? That did, they didn't make um, it. No, they didn't make it. <laughs> and so what happened after that in twenty twenty one? You're kind of like figuring out exactly what you want from from the album. Yeah, I just wrote like a big bunch of songs around that winter, at the end of twenty 2020 twenty and start twenty twenty one. They suddenly started coming really easily after not coming at all for a while and then without expecting it I suddenly had enough for a new album wow it's, you make it sound so easy yeah, I wish it was <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know maybe that will happen again yeah. so so how much work uh went into it like how many months of working on it um 
kind of many short bursts over a long period of time like I think I I wrote all the songs around from like late 2020 to 2021 and then in May 2021 I did the first like batch of recordings and then that was like a really intense week um where we worked like really long like 12 hour days really intensely and then didn't do anything for maybe another four or five months and then did some more intense days and it was kind of like that and then I wrote some more songs later that summer and added them on as well so yeah it's kind of like short chaotic bursts over time okay that sounds good uh we're gonna do a track by track of uh the album as we uh go along so we'll we will find out if there are any serial killer references on it um like murderers on this one i don't i hope not um but tell me about some of the like nice things that you've gotten to do since we last talked i think shortly after we talked early in 2020 you got to play for prince william and kate when they <laughs> yeah. came to uh ireland was that uh fun were they a rapt audience they were they were actually a surprisingly nice audience um i just had to play one song uh interestingly a song that was about a true historical event that had been written about in british tabloids in the late 1800s as sort of like propaganda as like look how savage and backwards the irish are and then i was asked to play that song for uh, the british royal family so that was a weird one but yeah it was nice they were actually quite nice as as nice, nice as you i don't know yeah a funny time <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like the lockdown came and you're in dublin for a while by yourself yeah. and it sounds like one of the important things about this album is that you moved <laughs> you moved to cork it and was that is kind of what maybe gets the thing. creative the creative juices that flowing. Was, is it a mm. tough decision moving from Dublin? Um no, it wasn't really a decision. It was just necessity. Like well, just sort of like situations arose, like being offered a residency, taking it, being being offered spontaneous rooms, taking them, and sort of never being fully committed to anywhere <laughs> um but feeling good in cork and i keep coming back here so i must like it <laughs> <laughs> what was the residency in sirius yeah that was like a three month residency over the winter that's where i, I wrote pretty much most of the songs or that's the first burst period, yeah that was that was definitely i feel like that place is very present in the album it was like recorded there as well it was it was strange. I was there by myself. I was meant to be there for two weeks, and then um, the world shut down again. And I was there for three months by myself. I uh, didn't know anyone in Cove. There, there was nobody in the gallery. Just me. Um, yeah, was I was good. I was reading an interview that you did in the Times. I think it was with Louise Bruton, and mm-hmm. it sounded like it wasn't quite haunted, serious, but it sounded like there were some. Um, uh experiences oh it was haunted it is is it's very haunted haunted. yeah 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 Yeah. did you have any uh close encounters yes i've retroactively learned that it was either an intelligent haunting or a poltergeist um apparently there are three categories of haunting what's the third kind a passive haunting when the ghost doesn't know it's dead and it's just uh trapped um thinking it's still alive and probably confused it um and then a intelligent haunting is a ghost that does know it's dead and is refusing to move on for some reason and a poltergeist is one that does know it's dead but wants to cause havoc for some reason um i learned this from the cove supernatural investigators (laughs) um they got called in or um they called me in (laughs) sorry um yeah. to detail your experiences um they so i made some work well i had to make like an installation as part of my residency and i made like a sound piece that was um kind of about haunting and uh i wrote i had to write something to a company but i wrote about uh making music in like a haunted place or whatever um like slightly joking but also not joking and then um I I started getting contacted by two different paranormal investigator groups, which I ignored for a while. And then eventually I thought, what do I have to lose? Um, So then they they brought me back down to Cove to be 
ghost bait. They wanted me to take part in a seance, so I did. Uh, go on. <laughs> um, I, I went last April when the full moon coincided with the high tide coinciding at midnight. There's only certain, like maybe three times a year this happens, so I, we had to wait for the right uh, conditions. Um, so I went back at midnight. Um, uh, they treated me very well. They like put me up in a hotel and bought me dinner. And uh, really, it was like being being a celebrity. They they really were like, the, you know, kind of starstruck by the possibility of being in the presence of uh, what they thought was a medium. But I was like, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> so you weren't scared in serious snow? Um, no. 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 Well, if anything, I've I've now completely made my peace with the dead. I I, w- I think I would have been more scared about haunted houses beforehand. Now I'm completely at ease with the possibilities of the lingering dead. Wow. Um. Okay. So <laughs> on on that note, will we listen to the first track on uh True Love, your second album? So Saint Sebastian, who is he? How did he come to be the opener on your album? Saint Sebastian is your favorite saint. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he was at one point. <laughs> He's like martyred Catholic, uh, patron saint of plagues and lace makers. I don't know that much about him really, apart from he's like the original like gay icon. So he's been he was like adopted by as like a gay symbol. I don't actually know why. I don't, but he has been. I used to just go to the National Gallery in Dublin a lot. I used to go to counselling in the building next door and then uh, go to the gallery and look at the paintings to sort of like uh, bring myself back down to the real world after sessions and be- was became very taken by St. Sebastian's m- martyred torso impaled by arrows against a tree and thought... Why not give him a song? I'm sure there are many St. Sebastian songs. I would be surprised if there weren't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lovely harp at the end there. That's uh, Ruth from Landless, is it? No. No, the harp is Maeve McKenna. Maeve McKenna, sorry. Maeve and I have been playing together for five years now, I think. She played harp on my first album as well, although there's a lot less harp on that album. This one, we really went for it with the harp. Yeah, she's a good friend. Yeah. Uh, she's from Meath. She plays with Aoife, Nessa Francis, and oh my god, a few people. She does her own like solo thing as well. Yeah, she's she's busy. She's just playing harp all the time. <laughs> so. so that's the opener. We'll listen to um the I guess it's the first single. Um, Four Winters. Do you count that as the first oh single? Oh yeah, yeah. I forget that I, that there was another one, but uh, yeah, whatever. We call this one the first single. <laughs> Thank you. 
Is it a tough song to, to write? No. No. That one came out really easily. Um, it was originally a commission. At the doc, um, the art centre in Leitrim, uh, wanted, like, commissioned me to write a new song, basically. Um, and that was the song. I'm not sure if that was what they had in mind. It was meant to be about trees. Um, but it is a little bit about trees. Um no, I guess the only hardness has been, uh, yeah, not not knowing what to do with a song like that in like live situations, I suppose. But writing it is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've been on tour uh, the past couple of weeks. You've been playing mm-hmm. with uh, Mega Bog and, oh, I forgot her name again. Um, Laura Groves. Laura Groves mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you play that song? Uh, yep. Like in your support su- sets? Mm-hmm. And did like did you find it difficult um no so th- it's kind of like it feels weighs less on your shoulders maybe or something is it or yeah it's um singing it is fine yeah i guess it's just a song now you know there's like something you know you take something from the world and then you turn it into something else and then it's just a song I guess like a really strong feeling in time always kind of becomes an anecdote and then it's just an anecdote without the feeling attached. Ooh, lady, 
so that's telling the bees do you want to talk about what that song is about um sure so the rita in the song is um a saint a 14th century italian saint called rita oh another um, saint another says yeah there's a few saints <laughs> and she was canonized after her death i guess as the patron saint of uh domestic abuse and impossible causes and a few other things and then she's also associated with fresh figs and honeybees which are two things that i like mm, so you have all of this swirling around you were like ah, let me see if i can make a song about this yeah i think so i think i read about her and i knew that she would be good to put in a song i felt i read her i read her wikipedia page and thought that she sounded cool and then telling the bees is uh an old folk custom by beekeepers. I think it's Irish, but maybe it's not specifically Irish, but I think it's an Irish custom. Um, people who kept bees uh, would nominate someone in the household to go and tell the bees if someone had died in the family or or if some grief had struck the house because the bees might sense the lingering grief in the air and then there'd be like mass hive death. So someone had to like go and warn the bees that there was impending grief okay. so uh, they wouldn't die. <laughs> um, m- musically on that song, it sounds like, I don't know, do you feel like you've gotten better like as a musician? It sounds like they- there's a lot going on sonically, just like with the keyboard, with the piano. Um, yeah, maybe. I just don't think my piano playing is very good. You don't? Uh, no. <laughs> but uh thank you um i wrote it in in serious and uh i was really bashing it out which because it was there was no one else there so i didn't have to be like aware of people listening to me so i was just really playing it quite hard and then when we recorded it i wanted that energy in the song i suppose mm. it's hard to kind of capture that energy in songs is it um yeah it can be but we recorded it in the exact room where it was written and there's a very specific energy and kind of like a sound I guess like like the natural reverb and the kind of vague echoing that's happening in that space anyway was just uh it was part of the song because that's where I was playing it and then I wanted it to be recorded there as well I felt a That seems like a very pointed title. Is uh-huh. it? I'm, I'm guessing like a, a lot of women would probably be able to relate to yeah. that smile, please, good girl. Um, it's taken from the title of Jean Reese's unfinished autobiography. She was a very miserable woman. Um, so I'm not sure how serious the title, or maybe it was meant to be ironic. I think it was. Mm. Um, yeah, I haven't actually finished reading it either, but it was beside my bed for years because I always thought I would come back to it but I was never able to get past her childhood misery and I know that it probably only got worse but the title of the book was Smile Please and I wrote the song while sitting on my bed looking at the sack of books beside my bed. <laughs> uh, Jean Reese is someone that you wrote about on the first album as well isn't she? She's, yeah. she's someone that you uh, go back to. Yeah she's one of my favourite my favourite girls. <laughs> One of the questions that I asked you mm-hmm. in our last interview was whether you found songs cathartic. And I guess it's it's kind of like one of those questions that you ask people who kind of do kind of personal songwriting mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you with that idea of catharsis, maybe with these 
songs? Um, yeah, uh, catharsis. Like again, to elaborate on a theme of this conversation so far, it's like I've come to think of it as a kind of exorcism more than I think. Feel like exorcism feels more apt than catharsis. Well, no, catharsis is. I guess it's the same as an exorcism. So yeah, in a way, yeah. This song is it kind of personal again, or is it very much kind of character driven, kind of like telling the bees? Yeah, I mean, they're all personal and all, like, yeah. I I suppose that is a that is a personal song. Yeah, like I never differentiate whether I'm writing in character or write character or where, whether I'm writing about myself. Like the the boundaries become blurred every time. I suppose. Mm. Um, auto fiction. <laughs> is there a divide between the first half and the second half i feel like the second half is very much more specifically kind of character um, more character whereas yeah. it seems like i and you know your own um um uh p- pronouns for lack mm-hmm. of a better word are, are on the first half of the album i actually hadn't really noticed that but now just glancing down at the track listing yeah maybe you're right maybe that was subconscious but well done you've done some good listening <laughs> that's not what i was getting <laughs> but I'll, I'll take the phrase it's always summer when i think that i might call you on the long nights drink a bottle of wine in the grass next to the bandstand where one night we watched the russian men break down where we scan the grass for mushrooms Where you touched me on a too hot afternoon And I told you about Chaucer And you said, okay, I get it, I know you went to school uh, d- Does that kind of feel like a, uh, a kind of a full stop to kind of some of the songs up to that point? Um, do you mean on like, the album or songs I've been writing before that? Um, I was thinking on the album, like mm-hmm. one of us had to get out is what you're oh, singing. Um, yeah, actually, that was the last song that I wrote for the album. It came a bit later than the rest of them. I think it was the last one or maybe the theremin one was the last one. It was one of the very last ones. I w- it wasn't a conscious thing. It was actually sort of, I was leaving Dublin. I was leaving and I was like psychically moving on from like a phase of my life I think when I was writing that Uh, so it's a real in my head it's a real like Dublin song it's got a lot of like my Dublin time in it Mm. so you also uh talk about Chaucer there do you want (laughs) do you want to talk about Chaucer are you a fan I always want to talk about Chaucer (laughs) I love Chaucer I love the Knight's Tale I love the Wife of Bath which obviously I love anything to do with Baths (laughs) uh did you study him in college um a little bit yeah um, Canterbury Tales and a little bit a little bit of the Canterbury Tales not enough though not very much yeah we did we did like a few excerpts but like when I was in college I I wasn't really interested in medieval writing I just wanted to read like like contemporary stuff and now I'm like oh, I want to read Chaucer you find yourself going back <laughs> yeah. to them yeah, I uh, I studied him for uh, college, and mm-hmm. I I just hated it. I hated it a lot. That's that's a, it is understandable why some people yeah. do just hate it. Maybe maybe <laughs> I'll uh, maybe I'll go back to it uh, one time. It is great. <laughs> it's um, really fun. <laughs> uh, the album is called uh, True Love. I think in the press mm-hmm. release you say the songs on True Love ask what happens when you devote yourself entirely to something or someone else. What happens when we risk love and when that love goes all the way uh, all the way wrong? How can we make sense of the chaos left in its wake? So why is it called True Love? And is it a like it's not a love album, really, is it? Is it? Oh, it is a is love it? album. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of um, a twisted love album. I mean, is that not what true love is? <laughs> um why is it called true love uh i had so many titles and they were all terrible yeah um and then it was getting to the point that like i really needed to call it something it was going to the vinyl plant in like a week um and i just 
was in Fibbers and suggesting titles to my friend Chris who recorded the album and he was like no 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 and then when I said true love he was like true love and I was like yeah and he was like yeah <laughs> um so the process is, of elimination yeah but also it is it's about I mean to me there's a lot of love in these songs yeah I mean love goes wrong but we must continue to strive for it in face of the destruction it can sometimes leave wow So that's O Theremin. You want to talk about Professor Theremin? Uh, sure. Leon Theremin is his name. He was a Russian inventor. He invented the theremin, which was the first um, electronic instrument, or at least the first one that you were able to like buy. Like I'm sure other people were like inventing things before that, but that was the first like mass-produced one. Um, and he also invented the first audio surveillance device, um, wow. which was like in a picture frame on the wall of the US ambassador's office in Moscow for seven years and then it got he got caught then eventually <laughs> <laughs> so you just like find his story and again it's just kind of like hmm, this seems ripe for a song yeah I was uh I watched that film at sisters with transistors did you watch that I haven't no it's really good um, it's a documentary on like the kind of early female pioneers of experimental music and there's people like Pauline Oliveros and Laurie Spiegel and there was Clara Rockmore who was the first theremin player and she was Leon Theremin's lover and muse and accomplice and so in the little bit about her on the documentary there's like a teeny mention of Mr. Theremin and after watching it, I decided to read about them on Wikipedia, and then I wrote the song. Uh, so is uh, I do have a question about your mm-hmm. research. Is it mostly Wikipedia driven? <laughs> it really is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you delve? You don't delve any deeper. You're not like getting books out from the library, um, like. Well, yeah. Sometimes, it depends. Yeah, I mean, just many many sources at all times. But Wikipedia is like my favorite website yeah yeah it's it's gotten better uh you can you can trust it totally um mm, no. no you can't no but i still think it's great yeah <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a song that very much kind of uh lives up to the title of true love in yeah. the most romantic sense i'm guessing <laughs> that, one, that, that, that one's a love song yeah, yeah for it's, sure <laughs> it's about uh mark chagall and his partner wife yes I'm presuming. i were they married i don't partner. actually know at least his lifelong lover oh or his lover from a very young age perhaps not his only lover but once they met they were together for the rest of their lives Tell me uh, more about maybe how you, how you found how you found uh, Mark Chagall in the story. Um, well, without saying Wikipedia, 
<laughs> it wasn't there was no wikipedia involved in this one at all <laughs> um i have the same birthday as chagall and my mom is a painter so uh she proudly told me that when i was a child so i felt i always felt kind of like an affinity with him and his paintings are very childlike as well so when i was a child i really liked his paintings i think they're like kind of imaginative and colorful so they're kind of easy for a child's brain to access so in my head I've associated a kind of innocence with Chagall and then uh, I had a lover who was a painter and he showed me he wanted to show me his favorite painting um, and we were in Madrid uh, at the start of 2020 and he showed me a Chagall painting which it turns out was called Birthday and he was like you should write a song about Chagall and then I didn't and then we broke up and then I wrote the song and then he was annoyed with me and he was like you have to credit me and I had to, I have credited him on the sleeve but um I I didn't write really write the song about the painting but I wrote it about I was feeling just very worn down by the world and then I was reading about Chagall on many other websites that are not Wikipedia and read about his love Bella Rosenfeld who they met when they were very young and she was a poet they're incredibly photogenic the photographs of them together are absolutely amazing you must look them up and she's just like yeah very beautiful a very interesting poet and a mystic and they she wrote about him and he constantly painted her for the rest of their lives and in every painting he has of her like it's just the way he looks up to her and thinks she's so amazing is so visible in his paintings like the, he often paints like himself standing like on the ground and holding her hand and she's like as if he's like proudly waving a flag and she's like floating off into the ether um so I was probably going a little bit mad but I was like look true love can exist Mark Chagall and Bella Rosenfeld did so was <laughs> Bella his muse yeah, yeah, I would say there's like a mutual musing going on. <laughs> mutual musing. Like that's something that you seem to gravitate to, this kind of like idea of the muse. What is it that kind of interests you so much about it? And is it about kind of uh, almost saving the, the person who is the uh, the muse from from the title? Almost? In in many ways, yes. But then in many ways, am I not just double musing the muse by rewriting about the muse? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny, when, I, when my first album came out, everyone, not everyone, the, the very few people who heard that album were like, oh, Maya is like giving voice to forgotten women. But that wasn't what I was planning to do at all. I was just like, I don't know. I, I like, I, I'm definitely interested in like the, the, the figure of the muse. Like I'm always interested in like the girlfriends and wives and mistresses of like the great men. Like they often have like interesting stories it's something I've returned to like definitely over and over again and like continue I'm always like oh wow this cool artist had a cool girlfriend I wonder what she did and then it turns out she did like so much more amazing things not not in the case of Mark Schagall he's the one good artist man (laughs) the only one in the world (laughs) the only one in the world That's our third saint of the album, if we're keeping track. Is it Saint Aquinas? Yeah. Uh, Tell me about Saint Aquinas Um, that I might not have garnered from that song. uh, I don't think you'd get very much from that song. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, you're like a mystic philosopher or a religious philosopher anyway. Um, I don't know that much about him. I haven't actually read any of his writings or at least very little, but he came to me in a dream. And I wrote that song. 
Okay, That's... mystic philosophers. I'm guessing the best kind of philosophers. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like mystics. I like reading about their, their testimonies. I'm actually now that I'm saying, I don't think Aquinas would would have considered himself a mystic. I guess actually no. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stick with mystic. Yeah. Um, you've talked about other influences such as um documentaries for mm-hmm. songs mm-hmm. art with mark chagall and i'm sure mm-hmm. other songs too what about musical influences over the album generally what, um, what were you kind of listening, listening to? to um when i was in Sirius on that residency i only listened to three albums <laughs> and they were love death and the lady by shirley and dolly collins which is a really good late 60s album of folk songs by like Shirley Collins is famous obviously and then her sister Dolly who is arguably the best Collins sister is like a very experimental composer who just did they just did two albums together and that one that the arrangements are extremely weird it's extremely dark um Shirley was going through a lot at the time so she was really gravitating towards the the most melancholy folk songs I think I was listening to that a lot and then an album by an artist called Earth Eater called, called Phoenix Flames Are Dew Upon My Skin which is a really amazing album and then the third album that I was listening to was Blue by Joni Mitchell. Oh okay why were you limiting yourself to those three was it uh, just they were the only three records you had? Or? No I I got really obsessed with each of them in turn I think it started with Earth Eater then Joni and then Shirley and Dolly. I just, uh, sometimes I get a little bit obsessive about things. Um, and I just really, I mean, I, I think there's other songs here and there, but those are the three the three albums that I remember really rinsing at that time. <laughs> um, before we move on, do you want to talk about uh, the other people who are playing on the yes. album as um, well? We've mentioned Maeve and one or two others So Maeve already. is playing harp and Chris Barry did all of the recording and he's also playing bass. He also recorded my first album. Soul of Kelly from Quirk <laughs> is playing drums. David Tapley from Tandem Felix is playing pedal steel. Ruth Clinton from Landless is playing theremin. And Ryan Hargaden is playing clarinet and saxophone. And I'm hoping I haven't forgotten anyone. That's everyone. Yeah, that is everyone. I don't care if you to yourself. sounds like it was a fun one to make was it uh yeah it was it's a very silly song and uh, yeah <laughs> um it's funny i uh, i haven't heard most of these songs in like a year so i'm like oh yeah that song yeah it was fun <laughs> it's fun well that was the penultimate song on the album how are you feeling like a week out from the release of the album so having listened to the tracks through today um kind of better actually I was uh, having a week of nervous dread for the last few days, and now I feel like it's not so bad. <laughs> the nervous dread follows you around as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're releasing the album on, I'm going to call it Tull 2. I've been saying Tull, I think. T-U-L-L-E. Yeah. I don't think there's an umlo on the U. No. You could be right. Yeah, it's a London, London-based uh, yeah. record label run by uh, Connie from Fears, and they put out another album. I can't think of the other album. They've released, I think, three or four. They did well. The most recent one is a band called Mail, who are, I think, all mostly Irish, 
done a few things, a few others. So is it just that you're friends with uh, Connie and that the hookup kind of came? Was it? Uh, no, I actually had never met Connie until I was at a gig in London last year. I had been talking to a different record label at the time, who she was. She manages an artist, and that artist was signing to that label. And she was like, "I'm going to put pressure on that label." To sign you and then if they don't sign you come back to me so needless to say they didn't sign me <laughs> I didn't take her seriously because I've been talking to quite a few labels and I was beginning to get kind of allergic to the very concept of labels but then eventually I was like oh my god this album I just have to put it out so then I did email Connie um there's three women Connie Emily and Jill uh but Connie's the person I've been dealing with most um, and I was like, when you said you wanted to release my album, were you just being polite? Or did you mean it? And she was like, I meant it. That's good. So, so you were doing kind of the record label kind of game, was it? Or people were saying that you need to kind of do this? Yeah. Not something that anybody of, enjoys. I'm yeah. Guessing. It's kind of a weird one when you kind of like make an album with no expectations commercially or whatever which is what happened with my first album I just kind of like made it with my friends put it out on a very tiny label didn't really wasn't really thinking wasn't aware of much of the world of the commercial music industry and then to kind of anyone's surprise who was involved in the album it kind of got a little bit more attention than anyone expected so then suddenly when it came about time to make a second album suddenly I was getting a lot of advice and I'm a very impressionable person. Uh, I, I really, I don't know, um, how, I don't know how business things work at all. Um, so I just was just getting a lot of advice from lots of people who, you, you know, with loud voices who think they know best for you. And then that just was not good for me. Um, it was also not good for me to think about music in a commercial way at all. Um, so it kind of felt frozen for a while and I just uh, ran away from it all and moved to Greece and refused to engage with the music industry at all and then a few months passed and I was like oh I suppose I should get this out so then yeah I was I was pleased to meet Connie and the Tool girls they they're really good. <laughs> so how do you think of the music industry if not commercially is it artist like artistically? I try not to think about the industry at all but unfortunately it, it creeps in on the days when I'm full of nervous dread. <laughs> um so the album is out on september 1st what are you up to um after that you going out on um, tour yeah playing some shows in ireland and in england um i actually don't have one in cork at the moment but yeah the album launch is in dublin <laughs> um on the 28th of september anyway is the is the main launch i guess yeah and Great. there's some other shows to follow well, thanks for talking to us through True Love. We're going to hear the last song, Love is in the House. Do you want to set this up before we before we press play on it? Uh, yeah, that was actually the original title of the album, but then I thought oh. it sounded too much like Groove is in the Heart. <laughs> and then I just thought so I changed my mind. Um, what to say about that song? I wrote it on Valentine's Day after a very bad date. <laughs> I wanted to believe that love would eventually enter the house. Well, on that note, uh, not Groove is in the heart. This is Love is in the house. <laughs> Unfortunately. Thanks for, thanks for talking uh, today. Thank you for having me. Samson, bring your pillars down. They're blocking out my light. I want to see if he'll come round. I'll wait up all night. Your hair with a kitchen knife It fell like snakes against the tiles And I told you you could manage fine Without it for a little while Let's just drink ourselves to death Lovers 